0: Hi, and welcome to Spilling Chai. I'm your host, Anisha Hussain. You may know me as the Bangladeshi American cable news commentator who debates toxic masculinity with Tucker Carlson on Fox News. Or maybe you've read my articles on CNN about toxic white supremacy. While I may be a pro at giving my opinion and analysis on the headlines, something you don't get to hear me do is ask the questions and talk about something other than the news. And that's what I'm all about doing right now, because between coronavirus, a global lockdown and social isolation, my Persian cats and I need a break. This podcast, Billing Chai, is about conversations. I want to feel inspired. And radio is such a great medium to have really in-depth conversations and to take the time to have them. In this show, I'm going to be talking to brilliant writers, passionate activists and amazing artists. And I want you to join us. This podcast is also a PSA on behalf of all brown people that in most of the Asia and the Middle East, chai is not a latte. Instead, it's the best kind of tea. And on this podcast, we are all about spilling it. So pour yourself a cup and pull up a seat. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Episode 10 of Spilling Chai, I would normally check in and ask how everyone is doing, but as Corona rages across America and the world, but really America, since we do have the highest number of cases, aren't we all kind of living in the same uncertain freefall pandemic reality? Well, today's show gives you a much needed break from all things Corona as we discuss two of my favorite subjects, politics and journalism. And for those of you who say I'm hard on white men and always insulting them, I present to you my guest today, iconic political journalist David Korn, who also happens to be one of my favorite white men. If you're not following him, by the way, on Twitter, you are missing out. Korn is an American political journalist, author, and the chief of the Washington, D.C. Bureau for Mother Jones. He is also an on-air analyst for MSNBC, where we have also appeared together on AM Joy. Korn is the co-author of Russian Roulette, the inside story of Putin's war on America and the election of Donald Trump. He is also the author of three New York Times bestsellers, Showdown, Hubris, and The Lies of George W. Bush, as well as the e-book, 47%, uncovering the Romney video that rocked the 2012 election. In 2013, Korn was named winner of the George Polk Award in Journalism, and he joins us today on Spilling Chai. Hello and welcome to the show, David. Thank you so much for joining us. During the George W. Bush years, you became a harsh critic of the president. You wrote a book, The Lies of George W. Bush, in which you say that Bush had systematically quote "mugged the truth as a political strategy. You called out the u s media for failing to report this accurately. Your book explicitly accuses a president for lying, and this was back almost twenty years ago. Today we have Trump in the White House who to kind of be diplomatic, he lies a lot. Have we gotten better at calling a lie a lie?
1: Very slowly and very hesitantly, we have, and in fact, I was talking to Glenn Kessler about this the other day. Glenn is the fact checker of the Washington Post. He's the man who hands out with his team the Pinocchios. He and his team have kept a database of all the false and misleading statements that Trump has made since becoming president. And last time I checked, maybe a week or so back, there were over 19,000 lies or false statements. You know, in some ways, to me, it's a little remarkable compared to 2003, when I argued that it was a journalistic necessity to point out when a president was lying, particularly when he was lying about the reasons to go to war and to put American troops in harm's way, as yeah. what happened with the Iraq invasion. Its job was to point out false statements and say they were false statements. Yeah. Uh, it's The you know, president said this, and then five, six, eight paragraphs later saying, other experts say the other thing. Yeah. This is not accurate. I mean, it literally took thousands and thousands of lies yeah. from Donald Trump before the mainstream media, and I don't use that as a pejorative description, but before the big news organizations finally realized they could say Trump was a liar. We saw this happen sparingly during the 2016 campaign. It came a little too late. The New York Times, I think it was September 2016, first said that he had lied when he made a statement about his... Claim that Trump, that Barack Obama had not been born in the United States and born in Kenya. And so racist trutherism. They actually used the word lie in response to in a piece about that saying that Trump had lied. And that kind of opened the door for others in big traditional news outlets, legacy media to sparingly use the word lie. Let's say the president was saying something that was false. And it's gone back and forth. There are times still when they don't do it. The problem has always been, and they not just with the president, but with anybody in power, other politicians, corporate executives. You know, they say that today so and so said X, Y, and Z. Yeah. And X, Y, and Z could be false. And it may not be until later in the story, may not appear in the headline, that those statements are false. The New York Times did this before the 2018 election and said the president cites crisis on the border with caravan. Well, there wasn't really a a crisis in the way that the president was talking about it, but he was trying to make believe there was a crisis, a crisis. And the piece eventually explained that, but when you have the words president cites crisis at border, in the headline and on the tweet, you give the impression that he's saying something important It's noteworthy. Exactly. So this is the long-winded answer to your question, but yes, it finally took Trump to mm-hmm. get the media to sort of realize that the news is not what the president necessarily said. The news is that the president lied or said something that was false. Yes. That is the news.
0: In your recent article from Mother Jones, you asked the question that won't go away. Why does Trump love Putin so much? In light of what we know about the Russian bounty placed on dead American soldiers, what is your answer to that question? Should we all find someone who can love us like Trump loves Putin?
1: Well, that would sure be nice. <laughs> I mean, this is a guy who will slam Angela Merkel or Justin Trudeau, Theresa May, John McCain, and criticize people rather soundly. But when it comes to Putin and to President, I don't even like calling him President, President Xi, Xi of China and Erdogan of Turkey and Duterte of Philippines and Kim of North Korea, he has not a single bad word to say for these autocrats and authoritarians thugs in many instances, murderers. I mean, China is mass murdering Uyghurs and putting them in concentration camps. And according to John Bolton, Trump okayed that idea when he talked to President Xi of China. But when it comes to Putin, it seems there is something particularly special in relationship. And in the book that I wrote with Michael Isikoff, Russian Roulette, New Expanded Paperback Edition just came out. We talk about how his love affair with Putin seems to go back at least publicly to 2013 when he announced that he would be holding the Miss Universe contest in Moscow that year. And after that announcement, he tweeted out, will Putin come? Will he become my new best friend? Now, at that point in time, Putin was already known for being a repressive, thuggish leader. He had overseen uh, prosecuted a war in Chechnya that led to thousands of civilian deaths. Journalists had been killed in Moscow who were digging into corruption. Anti-gay laws have been passed. He had basically run fraudulent elections. So you gotta ask yourself why would Trump talk about becoming best friends with a person like this? It's like he has a schoolgirl's crush on the guy. You know, there were business reasons, obviously, to not antagonize Putin, but to flatter him with this request to be my best friend and to be so personal and emotional about it. It seems like he just has a very strong psychological affinity for Putin and that he wants to be accepted by Putin. I mean, if you see him when he shakes hands with Putin, when they meet in person, it's like he smiles. Donald Trump never smiles. Right? He barely <laughs> smiles. Never <laughs>, laughs, really. But he lights up when he sees Putin. Now, part of this is he's been trying to do business there for a long time, and so he can't do big deals as he tried to do while he was running for president and yeah. created a Trump Tower in Moscow without telling anyone in America. You can't do that if you're going to like speak honestly about Vladimir Putin. So there's a business reason to be buddies with him. Yeah. But it goes so f- much further beyond that. So when Putin attacks the United States by attacking its presidential election in 2016 to help Trump, Trump basically, you know, he talked about no collusion, no collusion. He was complicit. He helped the attack occur by saying over and over again publicly that it wasn't happening. As president, he took Vladimir Putin's word that Russia did not intervene in the attack, even though the evidence was clear in the US intelligence community and said so publicly. And then to bring up the most recent point, we have multiple reports that Trump was told that Russia was putting bounties on the heads of American soldiers in Afghanistan. If you kill them, you get paid to encourage more murders and assassinations of Americans. And what does Trump do? Nothing. And even like he says, well, you know, I didn't know about it. Well, the first thing is, like, would be for a sane, reasonable American president to say would be, if this was true, that he didn't know about it, which is doubtful, but would say, I wasn't told this. i am been looking at this right away. It's outrageous. If anything like this happened, there will be repercussions. Yeah. I mean, that's what you say. He cannot bring himself to criticize Putin. Now, I think there's another thing that goes on in all this, is that he became president with the help of Russia, the underhanded covert clandestine assistance of Russia. And it wasn't the only thing that got Trump the presidency, but if you came up with a list of 12 decisive events that turned the election, the Russian intervention and putting out Hillary Clinton's emails and speeches and all that sort of stuff, well, was certainly one of the determinative factors that if it hadn't happened, it's very conceivable that Trump would not have become elected president. So his presidency has an asterisk on it. Yes. Yeah, it's tainted, it's tarred, and that just drives him crazy. I think he thinks anytime he talks about Russia and he attacks Putin, does anything, it just reminds people that he is in the White House in part because that's what Putin wanted.
0: Is Trump a patriot? I mean, does he love this country?
1: Well, I mean, I don't even know if you have to love America to be a patriot. We can define patriotism in a lot of different ways. But one thing we know is that Trump only loves one thing, himself. Although he may also loathe himself at the same time. He is a pathological narcissist who sees the whole world, whether it's the United States or the globe, only in terms of what it means to him. So he doesn't love the United States. He doesn't care about the United States. He doesn't care about you, me, or he doesn't care about the people he has coming to his rallies. He's putting them in harm's way. You care about those people. You wouldn't invite them to an arena and have them sit shoulder to shoulder, stand shoulder to shoulder, not tell them to wear masks. He doesn't care about anything other than himself and his own standing. So if Putin's putting uh reward money out for the murder of Americans, all he cares about is not what happens to those Americans. He cares about what it means for him and whether he should say something or not. He, if Putin attacks the election, he doesn't care about American democracy and the fundamentals of our republic. He cares about whether he'll stay as president. The same thing with the coronavirus pandemic. He doesn't seem to care that 130,000 Americans are dead because of this. He doesn't tell people to wear masks. He doesn't set an example. He doesn't even tell people to social distance. He seems to find it inconvenient for his election prospects. And so you can't be a patriot If your only priority or your top three priorities are me, me, and me.
0: You know, I grew up in Bangladesh with America constantly monitoring press freedom in the country. It was something they championed and really protected all over the world. I always viewed the U.S. as this beacon for journalistic standards and truth. Will the American press survive Trump's attacks?
1: Well, I think... The press will survive, but you know, there are problems with the business models and with the economic recession that we're in because of the pandemic that Trump has not adequately addressed. And we see a lot of media institutions having to cut back on staff, resource and salaries. And that's creating a crisis for a media that was already in a crisis even before Trump because of the rise of the information internet infrastructure so there are multiple crises hitting the media and then along comes trump with his proclamations of fake news and so on and that is turning off a third of the public or so to media that doesn't support trump to non-fox non-breitbart media and it's a bit of a problem but it's a major problem that media industry as a whole has to contend with right now. But what Trump is doing is he's making the demonization of independent media, you know, part of the playbook that is being copied by autocrats around the world, whether it's Bolsonaro in Brazil or Erdogan in Turkey, who are now saying people cover them and expose their lies and corruption, that it's fake news. And they see that this doesn't work completely, doesn't make these stories go away, but what it does do is it it prevents your core supporters, your base from being influenced by these media reports because you've done a good job of discrediting them. So Trump has created this sort of feedback loop within the conservative movement, which now acts like a Trump cult that if he's attacked, it's because the media is against him and people can then discredit and not pay heed to whatever these reports are. So anything about Trump and Russia, it's a hoax. And people just automatically repeat, it's a hoax. And then when we had the story about the Russian bounties on American soldiers, he called that a hoax too. And for most Americans, they see that for what it is. But for people who live on planet Fox, (laughs) <laughs> it reinforces their brainwashing or whatever you may want to do yeah. their programming, that they should not pay any attention to these stories. And that's sad because if they don't get better information, they will remain solidly stuck within the Trump cult.
0: What are you working on now? What's making you want to spill the tea, spill the chai?
1: Oh, well, I have a story that just came out which, you know, if you want to sleep soundly at night, I I would not suggest you read it. There's a group that was set up kind of, I wouldn't say secretly, but privately, not for public consumption. It was called the National Election Crises Task Force. And it was a group of policy experts and legal experts, academics, both from with Republican and Democratic pasts who are worried that the coming election could really end up a disaster for a lot of different reasons. One could just be because of a natural disaster. If a hurricane hits Florida and the election and voting can't occur there, there are no provisions in the U.S. Constitution or U.S. law on what to do, whether you postpone or just not count Florida, and that could undermine the legitimacy of any election. But they also came up with a lot of other different scenarios uh, outside attack that prevents the election from proceeding smoothly in a few key counties and a few swing states that allow Trump or Biden at the end to say that the results are not fair and to challenge the other results of that state. It's possible that if we see Trump denouncing mail-in balloting, it's possible that on election night, Trump may be leading narrowly in some swing states, but then when you count the mail-in ballots, which are absentee ballots, and provisional ballots, he may end up losing, in which case he may not accept those results. And in some states, those can lead to competing slates of electors that Congress then has to decide between, but if the House is still in the Democratic hands and the Senate is still in Republican hands, there may be no way to resolve this. Think about what happened with the reopening protests in some state capitals. What would happen if Trump said this election is about to be stolen? I need poll watchers. Mm -hmm. And armed Trump supporters show up at polling places in Michigan or Pennsylvania or Wisconsin Mm -hmm. and violence breaks out Mm -hmm. or people are not able to vote. Mm -hmm. Voting places shut down. You saw it in some states in Kentucky and Georgia recently. There weren't enough voting machines for People to vote. So, if you have this happening in an election that's really close in a state that's a swing state, we may have an election that can be contested or disputed, and there are no mechanisms for handling a lot of these disputes. So, this group has gotten together, this task force, to try to think ahead about what may happen, and try to come up with answers or proposals or ways to for actions to take beforehand to limit the amount of mistakes, errors, and conflict that could hit on election day. Whether they will succeed, I don't know, but they've been wargaming the way the military wargames scenarios, they just are wargaming what could go wrong with what could be the most important election in American history.
0: As cases increase across the world, my message to you, dear listeners, is to listen to the scientists, listen to the doctors, listen to the experts. We are living in uncertain times, which makes relying on facts and not politics more important than ever. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, leave us a review. It means so much and it helps a lot. And don't forget to follow us on social at Spilling Chai Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. And until next time, let's keep brewing the chai.